In today's episode, I talked to Paul Hammonds about communion. In our churches, we love to use big words. We obfuscate our pedagogy through superfluous grandiloquence, manifesting hubris instead of demureness. See what I mean? Inconceivable. While I might have a speech impediment, I certainly do not want to have a preach impediment. These get in the way of God's message reaching our hearts and minds. Let's dig through those big words and learn something incredible. Before we get started in today's topic, let me remind you to go and check out EdenHollow.com. This is the company I started to start publishing some Bible study guides and spiritual books, but we're starting to branch out into some fiction and even talking to some other authors. We'd love to have you check out what's going on at EdenHollow.com. Now let's jump into today's episode. Paul Hammonds is a friend of mine that I've gotten to know over the past couple of years. He's a preacher for the Kimberly Church up in Kimberly, Alabama. He got married about two years ago to a wonderful woman named Laura, and he is a diligent student of the Bible. He has not been preaching that long, but I tell you, you listen to him very long and you realize he has been studying quite a long time. He really is a great student and a great man, and I think you'll enjoy hearing what he has to say today about the concept of communion. Let's jump right in. Well, today we are discussing communion. So let's start with uh, the same thing we always start with, which is let's, let's start with a definition. How would you define right. communion for the person in the pew? It depends on what we're talking about with when we talk about communion. Because as you know, when we think of communion, we immediately insert the term Lord's Supper. And that's what we're talking about. The word communion, as I understand it, not being a Greek scholar, but it's it's a word that typically is translated or, or used in different uh, versions as being partnership or participation in fellowship, sharing, accord. Uh, you know, Second Corinthians, uh, I think it's Second Corinthians 6 is a, is a great resource there where you've got the parallel terms, partnership, fellowship, accord, agreement. It's, it's a word that describes a relationship that you have with someone or a group of people. That's the consistent definition for, for where it's used throughout the Bible. And so anytime that we see communion injected into anything, there's that idea of sharing and participation and fellowship that's going to be involved. When we apply that, that word communion to the Lord's Supper, there's some really strong messages that go with that, that, that tell us a little bit about what the Lord's Supper is supposed to be about. It is very much about something that we are sharing together as a group. And frankly, we're sharing with Christ as he's involved in it as well. I'm fairly sure I know why we typically interchange the terms. And I think it goes to 1 Corinthians 10, where we read in verse 16, the cup of the blessing that we bless. I'm reading ESV, by the way. The New King James would translate it differently. But the, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? And the word in the New King James would be communion. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bread that we break, is it not a communion in the body of Christ? And, and I think what we've typically read that as is saying, when we, when we drink the cup and eat the bread, isn't that us, isn't that us doing communion? And, and so we, we, I think we tend to look at that as almost a, a renaming of something, where what Paul is, I think, trying to say is describing the idea that when we are taking these elements— Aren't we participating with the body and the blood of Christ? Aren't we having fellowship with Christ? Aren't we sharing 
those elements. He's not really giving it a name so much as he's trying to describe what we're doing. Let's just let's break this down bit by bit. So we'll we'll first mm-hmm. start talking about the Lord's Supper, uh, which we do, as you said, call it communion. Oftentimes, how is the Lord's Supper? the act of communing. You know, the first and most obvious way is that when Jesus established the Lord's Supper in the first place, he, he said, take, eat, this is my body. And, and he said, take, dr- take and drink, this is the blood of the new covenant. Uh, and he said, do this in remembrance of me. So the first thing, obviously, is that this is supposed to be a memorial, a commemorative, a reminder of Jesus. And, and I think by implication, by what he did, what he did for us and what those what those gifts of the body and the and the blood accomplished for us you know we've got you've got two elements and this is another aspect of that fellowship because we benefit and receive blessings from what those elements represent we have the body which is the sacrifice this is what Christ gave in atonement for our sins and then we have the blood which he specifically says is the blood of the new covenant in other words this is the ratification of the relationship that we now enjoy because the body has been sacrificed. So we've got two distinct elements that bring us into this covenant relationship with God. By taking of those elements, you know, the first thing that we do is we we remember and celebrate that relationship and the benefits of that relationship. And and the second thing we do, and I think this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, was he, is he says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this blood, you declare the Lord's death until he comes. So it's also an act not only of me sharing in those benefits, but it's also a public acclamation by me that I believe and accept the gospel of Jesus Christ and that I am not ashamed to acknowledge it for the world. And so there, in that way, there's very much of a sharing in the gospel because I'm, I'm basically saying I'm on God's side. Uh, and so that is very much of a sharing in, in, in the gospel from that standpoint. That's just between us and God, because as you know, there's another aspect to that. And I think really that's the focus of 1 Corinthians 11, because the problem that they were having, I, I suspect that they might have understood that part about communing with God and communing with Christ. But what they were missing was that they weren't communing with each other. And, and that's what Paul rebukes them for in 1 Corinthians 11. You're disregarding and I think when he says you, you know, you are not discerning the body, it's in, you know we could dive into into the specifics of that passage. But I think he's saying more than anything else that you are not thinking of your brethren when you're doing this. You know, you're bringing your elements, you're eating before the others, you're not regarding them. It's all about me. It's all about whatever I want to get out of this. But I've completely ignored that there's a whole bunch of other people with me that I'm supposed to be having communion with as well. Uh, and so the idea that, that, that if I only understand the part about communing with Christ, and I don't understand that there's also a communion that's taking place between the brethren that are gathered together to take the Lord's Supper together, then I've really kind of missed the second point of that, which is strengthening that bond. You know, we're proclaiming the Lord's death together, and we're sharing our common faith. We're encouraging each other. We're reminding each other once a week that we are not alone in this that we all have that common faith that we share. Uh, and, and, and obviously, there's some implications behind that because if, I, if we share something that important, what does that have to imply about our relationships and other aspects of life? And other, if I'm going to encourage you in this common faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, then why would I not also try to encourage you in your faith in other areas where I may see you struggling or finding ways to help you draw closer to God 
in other ways as well. So it's those are it's it's kind of like the fundamental building block from where we start in building our relationship outward with each other as well. I think it would be hard to argue that in in some ways the way that we go about it is kind of counterproductive to the point that we're trying to accomplish, which is the encouraging and building up of each other. As I said, it's the time when we are the most introspective, introverted at any time in the worship. I, I'm, I once made the argument in a Bible class uh, that, you know, people, somebody asked, well, what do you do when you're trying to focus on the Lord's Supper? And what do you take when you're taking it? What, what are some things that can help to inspire you? And I, I made the argument after a little bit. I said, you know, one of the things I do is I look around. I, I look at all the people that are they're sharing in this cup and sharing in this bread and, and thinking to myself uh, about them and this this fellowship that we have, I got crickets, nothing. This just, what? What are you talking about? That's, you know, it's it's just not how we view that. But it's hard for me to imagine reading the way that Jesus established the Lord's Supper originally and reading how Paul describes it as how it should have been in 1 Corinthians 11. It, it was a much more social thing than we have made it. I almost it almost feels as if the intention was to have a group of Christians sitting around a table sharing a piece of bread and a and a cup of of, of grape juice and talking about Jesus and, and what he means to us and why we believe and again I'm not saying that's what we necessarily should do by the same token I I wonder whether that's not closer to the intention behind the, the the supper itself. So let me reword that because I, I do think there's some okay. validity to the concept of retooling. I by no means have the authority or the wisdom <laughs> to tell uh, a church right. what they need to do and how they need to worship. Nor do I. I want that on the record. <laughs> <laughs> but I can most definitely say that I have the uh, the ability to tell somebody that if celebrating and remembering the Lord's death is not effectively causing you to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, it is Mm -hmm. not causing you to reflect on the glory of what God has accomplished for you and made possible Mm -hmm. for you, is not causing you to examine yourself in response to what the covenant is about then you absolutely should retool what you as an individual are doing. Mm -hmm. Because the point of the Lord's Supper is not merely to bow your head and be silent for a few moments. It is to reflect and examine and remember. And if Mm -hmm. you're not accomplishing that as an individual, if you are not truly communing both with God and Mm -hmm. with your brothers and sisters when you when you take that bread in that cup then you should retool or reconsider what you do why you do it how you do it or what else you can do to accomplish those goals so this brings me back to the second part of communion being that participation with one another that we're sharing the one body of christ because we are one body as his people this is where I wonder if, you know, while I can't dictate what churches do, I wonder if there's not a missed opportunity here for us as God's people to be more intentional with our communion with each other around the mm-hmm. communion of the Lord's body. 
is there you know and not necessarily we need to have a free-for-all every time we pass out the trays <laughs> but is right. there a way we can open conversation is there a way we could have mm-hmm. a a period of sharing between a bible class and a worship service where we talk about mm-hmm. what amazing thing has has have you realized about jesus this week or mm-hmm. yeah. uh, maybe there could be a time where uh, instead of having one person give up and give a, a speech from the Bible, give up and share what Christ's body means to me. You know, mm-hmm. Are there other ways that we can participate together? Like you said, mm-hmm. looking around at people instead of closing your eyes and bowing your head. Mm-hmm. You know, and We've talked about this before that a lot of times our, our format does tend to make it very... Uh, presenter driven to the point where when we're called on to participate we just kind of feel weird and and as we also talked about we do have that fear that if somebody gets up and it's it's kind of like open mic night we, I don't know what's coming out of that mic I just and and we the last thing we want is for somebody to say something that will be upsetting or unscriptural or or inappropriate and, and I'm not saying that that's a wrong impulse either I mean the reality is that people in general I mean, not everybody's a great uh, has the mind to really direct us in a in a direction that's useful, and I, I've been to what I would consider to be liberal or not or inst, or institutional or non denominational groups that have done communion, where it's really easy for the, all the exalted talk and the speech and the I'm going to contribute something. I want to tell you what God did for me it starts to sound a lot more like what I'm doing for me mm-hmm. and how great my life is and how there's some things that I really, it, you start to hear a lot of me's and I's and, and it's really easy when we start giving testimonials to start making it about me. And, and I do think that there's, you know, it's easy to go to one extreme or the other. And at the end of the day, the question has to be, what is glorifying God in this? What is glorifying Christ? Is this focusing me more Am I understanding more about Jesus or am I understanding more about you? Uh, and I think that is the point that we need to be drawing towards. It's the idea that each one of us is contributing something that helps me to see Christ in a deeper light and and, and makes me closer to Christ and to the brother who's, who's speaking and to have a greater appreciation. If we can figure out a way to do that, uh, and again, in a way that, as you say, is not a free-for-all and is not... You know, I understand that we, we use decency in order sometimes as a kind of a catch-all to, to just get rid of anything that we don't like. But, but, but it does need to be decent, and it does need to be in order, and it does need to be something where uh, we are all on, we're all on the same page in terms of what we're trying to accomplish. Uh, and that doesn't happen unless you've really sat down as a group and prepared what you're going to do and why you're going to do it. Yeah. You know, having been a non-preacher, whatever you want to call it, for for a long time and now preaching and knowing that every Sunday I'm going and I have an active role and I have something prepared and I got to be ready to go and I have to give forethought into what that's like it's very easy for me now to see on a week when I'm not preaching how little I have to really do to just show up Mm -hmm. and how little forethought I need and how little forethought I probably put into it you know you roll out of bed you have breakfast, you go online, check how your team did, 
you know, think about, you know, think about, man, we need a good offensive line or we're going to get killed next week. Uh, and then, oh, it's time to go. All right, let's go get in the car, listen to whatever music I want to listen to. I go in and say hi to everybody, talk about the game. And all right, game face on, preachers, get, you know, the guy's getting up, let's start. And, and now I'm in worship mode. And that is the first time I've really thought about what's going on as we sit down together. And that's shame on me. But it's, it's a reminder of how easy it is when there's nothing that is expected of me other than to, if, if all that is expected of me is just to show up and listen, then that's what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. And that's true of 95%, I would imagine, of people that go to worship every Sunday. And that, that again, fits the, the context of what Paul says in First Corinthians. You know, Paul, mm-hmm. um, trying to remember, I think it's in chapter 14. Yeah. Uh, but he talked about, you know, if someone has a song if someone has a, a scripture if someone you know uh, let all things be done for edification there's not a one of us that can't say at the very least you know what in my daily bible reading this last night i read this and it just stuck with me yep. you don't even have to explain the verse just read the verse it doesn't have to be anything in you know the bible the gospel in and of itself is a very simple message it's not rocket science and you don't have to be a rocket science to make a point that resonates with people you know, I, I was just reminded about how much God loves me. That's all you need. Yeah. You know, if it's as simple as that, that works. Yeah. This could become a really big conversation when you start realizing that the word for communion is the same word that we use when we talk about fellowship and, and, and all the other aspects of, you know, the idea of, of the fellowship and the giving of the, uh, to the saints in 1 Corinthians 16. Uh, the idea and, and contributing to the saints in Judea, um, you know, seeking after people's well-being. That's part of fellowship, meeting together and eating together and spending time with each other. Yeah, there's a sense in which that is fellowship. The, the hard thing is figuring out a way that I can take that approach every day and every week. Uh, and I haven't figured out the answer to that other than just do it. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and so I, I'm going to try to do that. And I hope, you know, if you're listening, hopefully that's something that will encourage you to do as well. I think it's easy to see why communion matters and having a good understanding of it can make a big difference in your life as a Christian. We commune with God, we commune with each other. And if whatever we're doing is causing interference in either one of those communions, whether that be in the interaction and partnership we take with God in the kingdom, or whether that be the work that we do together as God's people in the lives that we share, then we definitely need to make sure that that interference is taken out of the way so that we can be more of what God intended us to be. I hope today's episode has challenged you and helped you become a better Christian. If it has been enjoyable, share it with your friends, with your family, and with others who might also grow from hearing episodes from Preach Impediments. And as always, if we can help you in some way or cover some topic that you would like to hear about in the future, let us know. Find us at preachimpediments.com or look us up on Facebook and you will find ways to interact with us there. All the interactions we have, we are so excited about because it does help us make this podcast better than it is and hopefully even more effective in the work of the kingdom. If we can help you in some way, reach out to us. Until next time.